the thing is that there are arresting people involved. We we have no idea who's like funding this thing, who's booking, who's founded the promotion, who is the creative director behind like where these names came up with or who decided like, hey, Marie Antoinette, that'd be a great gimmick. But we do know that, you know, Sam Laterna is on commentary with Ian Freed. We've heard that Speedball Mike Bailey was doing some sort of um, work backstage, at least at the first show. I don't know about this show, but he was like helping plan out some matches and some finishes. So there are like wrestling people involved. It's not a total... It's not like, say, a, like a glow where some guy was like, hey, wrestling, that would be cool, with no... Although, actually, I think David McLean had background, a little bit of background in wrestling, too. But it's not completely like some rando saying, like, hey, what if we just did a live-action anime show? Although that is kind of the vibe. Yeah, it is. They're definitely trying to do something that isn't just straightforward wrestling. Um, they're blending a lot of influences. Um, like, I mean, ju- just from the general look and feel of the factions alone, they're harkening back to like girl gangs of the 60s and 70s. They're definitely like leaning hard on, on some of those like very uh, known tropes in uh, Japanese street culture. Um, the like the manga and anime influence is very pronounced. And um, yeah, I mean, even down to the fact that, like, we're utilizing various wrestlers on this roster, many of whom have had significant careers elsewhere, but are performing in completely different roles within the world of Skibon. So, like, it's just an alternate reality Joshi promotion that is also, like, seemingly attempting to do a lot more with its, like, aesthetic and marketing value than maybe those promotions do in their first like initial outings. That's the thing. I have so many questions about like, you have some people like um, Sayaka and Nakajima who are basically the same people that they've been in other promotions. They have the same name. You know, she's Commander Nakajima instead of Arisa. She's Ichigo Sayaka instead of Unagi Sayaka, but we know, but they look the same more or less. They, their names are basically the same. Sari is Sari, but then you have like Otaku-chan, which is like completely divorced from Kari Onayama or Death Yama-san or any of the other versions of that she played. So it's really interesting to like, how did they decide who's a completely brand new character? How did they decide who's going to, like, I have so many questions about the the origins behind all this. and. You know me. That's my one negative, like frustration with this second show was match, 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 and that's it. Nothing else. No character like development in terms of like vignettes or like backstage subtitled promos or interviews. Nothing really like telling us more about who these individual characters are or how the Vandals formed or how Dangerous Liaisons formed. What their mission statement is anything like that i with larger than life colorful characters like this i desperately want to know like their backstory and their origins you watch an episode of sailor moon half the episode is about their human normal like everyday lives and half is about sailor moon so i want that other half here yeah and i mean that can be found it just can't be found in the show um because right now based on what they're doing with their live shows there's no real, they, they haven't created any room for like backstage segments and stuff because it's all like, you know, whatever you're watching at home is whatever people are watching essentially in the crowd. You're watching like the live show experience. You weren't getting any really like in-ring promos or anything. So far, it's just the like pageantry and the matches without any other like filler or like stuff like that. But the thing is with with some promotions, it's because that doesn't exist. But with Skibon, these characters have backstories. These, like, it's hinted at or it's um, referenced throughout the commentary, but you have to go online to get that information. You have to go to the, like, Skibon website and look at the roster bios. And it's there. Like, they give you the basic information. They tell you, like, 
that they give you the rundown on each of the factions. There's like history segments here. Like you could find out more that you want to know, but unfortunately it's not going to be in the show itself. It's going to be in everything that's surrounding the show. I guess that really makes it the ideal promotion for what are the kids these days? They're not Gen X. They're not Gen Z. They're the post whatever the post millennial. They're not Zoomers anymore. It's not Zoomers. Zoomers is that a thing? I thought that that was where we were at, but maybe we are even post Zoomer. <laughs> I don't know. The the that structure actually seems to favor this generation, where the the multimedia approach, where you've got things to read and check out the Instagram and then also watch the show, but then also follow this thing and that thing. Whereas people of a certain age, myself probably, but even like, especially older, they want to, you know, they want to tune into dynamite two hours a week and have all the information they need right there on the show, not have to follow stuff on social media and watch being the elite and follow these three other shows. They want to just like plug into this one show, tell me everything, but this multimedia multifaceted approach really seems to suit, like, the younger generation. Yeah, and also, it's there's an attention to aesthetic here that goes beyond just the marketing. I mean, it, it, there's an attention to the aesthetic in the, like, gear story, and because we're not talking about gear here, we're talking about costuming. This is, like, yes, it works as wrestling gear, but it is, the, these women have all, are wearing, like, to, like specially designed, mature designed from one designer, um, they're wearing costumes that was designed by one specific designer's house. They're like wearing makeup from a specific like makeup artist. They are wearing like like specially crafted nail art. Like everything here is for a visual package. So you're getting it online. You're getting the features and stuff on on their TikTok. You're getting to see the like the art, the like the, the anime style like art promos that were made for this promotion. But in person, you're also getting to see this aesthetic value carried through. Um, it's it, it's like the the level that this motion is working at when it comes to the aesthetic value is not something you ever see with a fledgling promotion. You just don't. Not not a promotion that isn't like you know. I mean, you don't even see that type that level of aesthetics with like a major wrestling company because they are not they're not bringing you something art house designer level they're bringing you hopefully like top-notch wrestling with really well paid and like you know high demand stars but like this is something else this is like they are crafting a wrestling experience for people who have maybe little to no interest in, in actual wrestling but high high interest in art design fashion uh street culture it's all here and that's what's being pushed forward not so much the wrestling part of it I messaged Val Quartz and asked, have you been watching Skabon? And ha she hasn't responded yet, but I really want to hear a gear maker's thoughts on the looks of the roster because yeah, they're like incredible looks and they're so captivating, but there is still part of me that thinks this would like, this is great as an entrance look. Can we trim it back a little bit once before the bell rings? Because some of these, I'm just like, I don't know how Bingo and Stray Cat are wrestling in those masks, for instance. Like, it, it looks restrictive. Some of these outfits, especially, look, they got Kari Yonayama wrestling an entire match in glasses and a beanie, a propeller beanie. And I'm just like, it looks, the looks are great, but maybe there's like a middle ground for like when they're actually wrestling in the ring. And so I'm just fascinated to hear like a gear a traditional wrestling gear maker's thoughts on all of that. I mean, it goes down to like the fabrication of various garments in that they're, um, at least the Harajuku stars, they, all of their outfits, their entire outfits are made of what looks to be vinyl. Um, so they are wrestling in like, like head to toe, like, like long sleeve vinyl costumes. Um, and they're not the only ones. I believe that both, and um, Konami, both of their costume, costumes were entirely vinyl too. And for Konami, we're talking like there was a ruffled high neck boomer like romper that she's wearing. 
it's fascinating to see this this level of style and artistry in the design while it still seemingly works as wrestling gear like we've seen some really gorgeous wrestling gear over the years like absolutely but this is this is something else entirely like like i said you can't even call it gear this is like costuming that has the function of wrestling gear not wrestling gear that borderlines on the level of costume and it's fashion like it is like it is japanese like street culture fashion it is gorgeous to look at the detail work if you go online now and look at any like articles about the latest Kavon show and you get like the up close like pictures please go look at these because you can really see the detail work in the costuming that you can't you can't see in the live stream like you're just not gonna be able to see it but find those like up close pictures because just the level we're talking is is extraordinary I mean the makeup design the makeup, like the makeup design, the fact that they're all wearing custom design nail art, it's, it's unreal. Like it, and my curiosity is like, how long, how much reach does this get? How, how much can you do with such an aesthetic forward promotion? At what point do you need people to buy into the rest of the part of it? This is Grit and Glitter, a weekly podcast dedicated to the power of women's wrestling. My name is Carly Vasquez. My name is Andrea. We are back together again. It feels like weeks since I've talked to you. Probably has been. This year has really been the like adjustment of like I'm going to have weeks and weeks where like I do the pod, but I don't talk to Harley, and that's weird. Like that feels like this is like that, that feels unique to this year. Like we really only have started like taking extended like breaks from one another in like 2023. Yeah, we we podcasted more together when you had like a baby. <laughs> well, I mean, now we're so fortunate that we have like more people do the like you know. Yeah, we're coming. Up, we're coming up on forty. We're almost middle aged. I mean. Oh yeah, yeah. We get, we just get tired. Just so tired. And honestly, I'm just lucky I have a voice back this week because if anyone heard me last week, uh, uh, for match of the year, man, that was as good as it got. That was as strong as my voice had gotten in like three days. Well, this week we are talking about the second show from Scape On, a new American Joshi promotion. And honestly, that's all we know about the promotion. <laughs> we don't know who's we don't know who's in charge of this thing. We don't know how this all started. We don't know like how often they're going to run shows. They did one show what two or three months ago in New York City, and then then they did a second show in Miami. So it's like it's not clear that where their home base is if they're going to have a home base. If they do a third show, is it going to be in San Francisco? Like so many questions here. Um, apparently, based on the changes to this card, all the women are getting flown in, like, straight from Japan the day of, I guess, because we had a lot of changes to this card. They said during the main event that, I think, uh, Arisa Nakajima, like, showed up during the show, like, arrived during the show, and then rushed to wrestle for the main event, which is crazy, too, with, like, the outfits they have to put on. Yes. I would think these outfits would take, like, hours of prep. And not just that, but, like, also the, like, you know, the, the intense level of styling that's going into each of them. Like, they're putting on, like, the, the costuming, but they're also, like, their hair has to get done, their makeup has to get done, like, uh, their nails have to be done. Like, everything has to be finessed. Although, I guess, uh, if we're talking Sajima, like, that's, her look wasn't quite, like, the like, not, her look wasn't bad, but, like, her she wasn't quite as dead up as a lot of the like women in that ring. But how can they afford all this? How can they afford afford like custom designers and elaborate, gorgeous, like Oscar worthy outfits and to fly twenty people in from overseas for 
a wrestling show under a in a skateboard underpass in Miami. Yeah, it's called Art. Well, it's called Art Basel, and uh, if it wasn't clear from the stream, there were over one thousand people in that audience. Over one thousand people in that audience for their second show ever. The first show in New York when they debuted sold out in three hours. Whatever they're doing, however they're doing it, um, and it probably has something to do with the like three plus million followers on TikTok. Um, the word is out and people are buying it. Yeah, I mean, the chance to see all these big Joshi stars, and there's like not just a couple on the roster, there's a lot of like big names on this roster to see them in person in general. People pay money to see that, but then to get in the ground floor, something that's always exciting to be able to say, like, I was at the first show ever. I'm sure there are people right now who are like, oh, I was at the very first Ring of Honor show. Isn't that cool? That's bragging rights. But I just have so, yeah. I just, I have so many questions about this promotion. When they announced that they were signing Sari to, like, a four-year deal, it's like you've you've had one show and you're signing people to four-year deals? Mm-hmm. Yep. I couldn't tell you because there really isn't a ton of information when it comes to like who is backing this. Um, the official, the official owners is Dream Slam Productions. I don't know if that is uh, if there is public information as far as who actually owns Dream Slam or what Dream Slam is. So many questions. Maybe we'll get answers. We'll get answers someday. I see people on Reddit threads trying to really sleuth things down, look at like where the copyrights are being filed, what cities they're being filed in, what law firm, <laughs> what other companies and whatever these law firms represent. And I don't know. It's probably just some fan. That's uh, like if I had to put money on anything, I'm like it's some rich middle-aged Japanese dude who's just like, you know, has money and just like wants to wants to spend it. I get it. Hey, I, I, I 100% get it. If I had the money, I'd do something like this, I'm sure. Although my my dream promotion is actually, um, it's set in uh, like an old-timey, like 1920s style hotel where they run wrestling in the basement and all the wrestlers on the roster live in the hotel rooms upstairs. And so then you get like also scenes each episode of them interacting in say like... Uh, the dining room and on the elevators and things like that in the gym and then you can have scenes where like uh you know you, we get we end an episode where we see like two wrestlers like kissing on the elevator heading up to the room stuff like that but uh i'm, okay, I'm, so, I'm a couple so, of years away so you're like uh lucha underground is like grand hotel yeah a little bit of like grand budapest hotel a little bit of like uh i like the hotel setting because yeah, then you got people living in the building and it explains why they're like, why the heels and babyfaces are like bumping into each other in the lobby and things like that. Um, so, what's it, so Skate Bomb is interested in, in a lot of ways. Um, it's mysterious, like, background as far as its founders, who is actually, like, you know, financing this, who is, um, who's, like, you know, booking this essentially, like, because that stuff isn't particularly public. What is really public is the fact that this is a promotion that is a, what they're building is an American Joshi promotion. Um, they are, they've launched a completely Japanese women's wrestling promotion, but they've launched it in America first. So instead of doing, you know, what, what every company does, which is you launch in your home country and then hopefully you get successful enough to do a show or a tour, et cetera, in another country, they're doing it the opposite direction. They are started in New York. They have their debut show in New York City. They've had their second show now in Miami. It is unclear where they will go next, except for the fact that they will stay in America for the next, like, hour many shows that they intend for this, like, pseudo tour. Only after this tour will they go to Japan. And the roster is exclusively Joshi which isn't always the case. I mean, you watch like Stardom, they regularly have talent from England, from America, come in, do tours, do appearances. But even on a show like this, where we had a wrestler get sick and have to, or get injured and have to get pulled from the card, 
and they needed a last minute replacement, they went out and they got Rina Yamashita, who is wrestling regularly in America for GCW, but who is Japanese. And they're like, that's who we're bringing in to be the replacement, not Amasha Slamovich or somebody like that. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. So interesting to be like, to be so committed to that, like first and foremost, to stay with the Japanese, with the Japanese background of this and the Japanese wrestlers, the point where like, I mean, Aijin wrestled for Japanese, for Japanese promotions for, you know, decades and decades and decades. Nobody would even like second guess it, but that's not good enough for Skybon, or at least that's not what they're willing to flex on at this particular moment in their second show. And, um, but I mean, good on them. They don't, they don't have to, but they are flying in all of these women for these shows because these women are primarily working out of Japan with a few, with a few exceptions. So, that means that any time they do a show, they are flying in something around 17 women. Plus makeup artists and hair people, or are they finding local people to do all that? I don't believe so. Okay, so here's the rundown as far as what we see in in the, the Miami show, okay? The costumes, including the like schoolgirl uniforms, Harley Quinn bloomers, that's all of them. Designed by Olympia Laton, the uh, designer uh, with like the Laton brand and Hotel Olympia collection and etc. Like very well known fashion designer. Uh, the makeup was done by British makeup artist Isamaya French, and the nails they have specially crafted nails were crafted by uh, well known popular nail artist May Kawahiri. So I don't know who's necessarily on hand at what point, but Isamaya French. Her team must have been there. Designer Mark Newson designed their championship belt, which if you notice how cool it is, like I did, that makes all the sense of the world. Yeah, all of this is like curated. It's it's like it, there, there's a feeling here that is not just we've got professional wrestling affiliated people. We're going to, you know, put on a decent wrestling. We're going to put on a decent wrestling show as a new promotion. They are from the get go focused on a very layered approach to doing this, but it's a very aesthetic forward. If you are looking at the places that are get, are covering Skabon right now, you're going to find articles in Vogue. You're going to find articles in Sense. You're going to find articles in like Miami art magazines and other like culture like outlets. You're not look, finding Skabon articles in like wrestling like outlets it's not being covered there it's being covered by other cultural outlets that actually have in a lot of ways much bigger platforms yeah i did a a traditional like written wrestling report for the first show for the pro wrestling torch but i i didn't for the second one in part because i feel underqualified i feel like i i don't i don't know anything about fashion i don't know and I'm not that well-versed in Joshi wrestling. So a lot of these women I haven't seen wrestle before, although I know the names. So I don't feel like I'm qualified to write about this in like in any sort of decent way that's going to do it justice. I mean, it's it's tricky to write about this right now because um, depending on where you're coming from or like what perspective you're coming from, you could write very knowingly about one specific area of skate on. You could talk about its roots in, in Japanese uh, street fashion and, and art culture. And you could talk about it from a contemporary art perspective, from a contemporary fashion perspective. You could talk about it from a contemporary wrestling perspective. Um, it has elements of all of these things and more. I mean, these live shows are bringing in a ton of people for a reason. And I don't think it's simply because there's people out there who want to see these Japanese wrestlers in in America, I think that there's probably a significant portion of the audience that is drawn in purely from the aesthetic, the aesthetic value and from what they saw on Skate on TikTok and the other like you know elements of their online marketing. I think they're bringing in a, a very sizable non-wrestling crowd, which is something extremely. Ex- uh, 
something really novel and hard to do, especially if you are a promotion that is completely of a different country. Now, granted, the production is delivered in English to the English-speaking crowds. But still, there's a lot of elements of this that, that are very specifically dyed in Japanese culture and Japanese wrestling culture that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect a ton of people who were not familiar with to jump right in. But I think that the aesthetic value and the packaging is enough to sell them. Well, so much of it is not wrestling, not traditional wrestling, not the way we approach traditional American wrestling, especially. So it's so interesting that they chose to make wrestling the core of it still, you know, like in, in a sense of like they have a ring and a referee and three counts. They could have done same performers, same costumes, same looks, same everything and done it more like, I don't know, like a campy, like um, Wonder Woman, Dukes of Hazard type, Miami Vice type series where they're literally fighting like on street corners or like running through empty buildings and things like that. And there's no like rules and match structure or anything to that extent, but it is still a wrestling show. It is still like ring the bell, two on two, three on three, one on one, first pinfall gets the victory, which almost, almost feels unnecessary. I don't know. Yeah, um, something that I was kind of curious about watching the second show, because I watched the first one, but I was kind of like, I was I was watching it, I was into it, but I was only kind of like half paying attention to the matches themselves. This time I was really watching the matches a little bit closer, and um, how do I put this? While there are a lot of really very talented, I mean, well, this roster is you know, filled, filled with talented, talented world world-level talents as far as wrestlers go, the wrestling that they're doing in the ring for the most part is pretty mid, like pretty mid-range. Am I fair? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I've seen a lot of people online saying like, yeah, or just complaining like, you know, oh yeah, like the, the wrestling fans, the dudes, especially, who are coming at it and don't really care about the fashion side of things, or just like, oh, yeah, that's cool, are like, well, you know, this isn't work rate. This isn't, like, five-star classics. Like, why are, why aren't these women, like, going full speed at the way that they, like, I've seen them wrestle in other promotions. Why aren't they, like, giving it their all? I mean, and is it? I wonder, like, I, don't... I wondered if part of that was, the first show especially, I was like, are they being held back by the elaborate costuming? Is it hard to wrestle with that much stuff on with like these elaborate outfits? Is that is and that's why I thought like maybe they should trim it back a little and then they can actually move around more. Or maybe it's a maybe it's a conscious choice that we're not we're not a work rate promotion. That's not what we're going for. We're going for I, I don't know, the aesthetics. <laughs> I think that I, I I don't think the costuming can be fully blamed here. Like I I think it goes beyond that. I think it's a choice. I think it is a, a specific choice made to make these matches uh, more accessible in their storytelling and in their presentation than, say, like a like a like wall to wall beggar of a work rate match. Because I think they are aware that they can they are pulling in people who have you know maybe little to no real knowledge of of wrestling. So they don't necessarily need to use these women to the top of their talents. What they need to do is be able to pull off some like, like good fundamentals, keep everyone safe, keep it entertaining, but it doesn't necessarily have to be delivered in five-star matches. Also, we have to remember that many of these women, most of these women are actively working for other promotions, whether contracted or freelance or whatever. So there is possibly a ceiling as far as like, what they are willing to do or give to a like once in a while show that's only happening overseas, not even in their home, their not even in their home country or their home working country. Um, that's a couple. I mean, that's that's a theory. But like, 
if you watch these shows and you have any familiarity with these wrestlers and their work outside of their work for escape on, it's like night and day. I mean, even watching like Rena in that opening match, it was like, we're seeing them do like some like chin breakers, like extended sequence, just very goofy, very silly, very, very broad, broadly delivered. Nothing that you're used to seeing from her in her current work with GCW. And I'm not even talking about like work rate. I'm just talking about like pure like strength and skill. Like that's not what this wrestling is showcasing. That's why it, of wrestling promotions, it really feels closest in line with WOW than anything else because you've got these. I mean, the difference here is all these women here are I, I want to say experienced trained wrestlers. WOW is more. Let's see, a decent amount of the WOW roster. That's their first time wrestling. But even people like Ray Lynn, Ruby Rays, Delilah Doom, they're coming in a WOW. They're getting new names, new looks, very distinct costuming. And it's not a work rate show. But if you're not looking for work rate, if you're just looking to be entertained, you're looking for like fun characters interacting and stuff like that, WOW delivers that. That's the one thing again, that's like missing for me for Skabon in the actual presentation is I want like, I want the fun skits. I want like the backstage interactions and like the like goofy, a little bit more humor, like outside of the ring too. Like I want to see, I want to see the squads hanging out together and doing stuff. Even if it's like a wordless, it's just like short musical montage where we see the Harajuku stars like prowling the streets and going out for like American hot dogs and slushies or things like that. Like I love all that sort of thing. And I know wow provides a lot of that. And that's that sort of stuff is one of the reasons that we still talk about glow all these years later. Right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I think that that um, does a lot to be able to like sell a complete, especially if you're trying to do this thing where like, You've got storytelling within these factions. You're like you're trying to build a whole world. Things like that go a long way in illustrating that and fleshing it out and giving the audience something more to latch onto. Um, and I mean, they the get go. Skabon has an interest in being able to do that because it's all built around, like many tertiary promotions, it's all built around factions. There are four uh, primary factions in Skabon. There's the Vandals, there's Cherry Bomb Girls, Dangerous Liaisons, and the Harajuku Stars. So each of these have a each of these factions have a defined aesthetic. Um, each of these factions have a mix of younger and more established talent working within. Um, they all have like personalities. There's like some of these are kind of they are vaguely defined as face factions and vaguely defined as skill factions, although I think that's evolving pretty quickly. Um, all of this is played with online uh, for visual content, for, um, for material that is easily like digestible in that format. But in like it, essentially in these live shows, you're getting faction versus faction. You're getting you know singles or tags or whatever. You're getting representatives from these factions going at each other. They've already established a couple of grudges between different factions, so that like that's all well and good. But I think you're right. I mean, like, I think what we're missing for these shows, what you, you have to rely on the online content for, is that, like, sense of personality that, like, can't necessarily come through in these matches, especially when these matches are kind of, like, they're, they're good enough, but they feel almost like the stuff that is in between the entrances and the exits. Yeah, I know going into this show before, like in the couple of weeks heading into Miami, they had been posting a handful of videos on Twitter, probably on other on other social media too, but I've seen them on Twitter. I, I, got, I saw the notifications. I didn't actually get around to watching any of them because like often it would be like it would ping me while I'm like at work and I don't, I can't right now and I'll do it later and I forget. Or I thought, it's going to be, it's like, an, it's a teaser video or, or it's a video that we're going to also get on the show later on. So I'll just wait and I'll watch it like as part of the show. That didn't happen. As a result, I went into the show somewhat cold. Like I'd watched the first one, but 
I hadn't memorized who's in what faction, who I couldn't remember who won at the last show. Like, oh, the Vandals are two and zero over Cherry Bomb Girls, or whatever. I I couldn't remember any of that from the last show, and so for me coming into this somewhat cold, Sam Laterna was asked to do a lot. Like she was she was asked to get over all the characters, the moves, the backstories, the the grudges, and we say grudges, but it's like this is only the second show. The, impl- the implication is that these factions have been feuding with each other for years and years but we're not getting that we're not getting that context yet i i really like that they're they're doing that i like the idea of like retconning the past and just like making it feel as if skabon has existed for a decade and that this is like a really long running like rivalry between this faction and those i i I think that's cool i i think Tending to have a history is a really great fast track to actually having, like, you know, actually making long-term stories for your wrestlers. Uh, I think the commentary had to do a lot of that duty, um, had to carry a lot of that weight for the live show, and they did it to the best of their ability. I will say, I, and I, 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 we are fans of Sam on this show. We, Appreciate Sam's hard work. Uh, that he did a fair job as well. But just based on what was being delivered in this like in this environment, with this level of like visual uh, pageantry, I almost felt like commentary and some of the like other elements of this whole package kind of kind of like undercut that big feeling. Like, I feel like the, the commentary was almost a little subdued. Yeah, I could see that. Because they were calling it like a like a wrestling show. They were calling it like they were watching, you know, more or less like they were watching like a Beyond or a Black Label Pro or something. But the women aren't... the Yeah, but it's like, is this a wrestling show? I don't know. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a perfect comparison, Harley. We were getting commentary for a wrestling wrestling show, and what we needed was commentary for for like a WoW style style wrestling show. We needed that like level of of buy in from the commentary, but I think that the commentary team just didn't get that particular like assignment. That wasn't what they were told to do. They were told to call these wrestling matches, which like. Fair, but the wrestling that we were watching did not require a like sober, steadfast commentary. The characters are so cartoony that I want the whole presentation to be somewhat cartoony. I want I want there to be a little bit of overarching mythology. I want this to be Power Rangers or Sailor Moon or Ninja Turtles. Like, just come come straight out and tell me like, oh these these four groups were assembled by like the this evil witch and this like ancient princess who have been feuding for centuries and they've like found these warriors to continue their battle in the modern age or something like that um i'm like go, i'm like go all in if we're if we're doing this if we're making poor bingo and stray cat wrestle in these masks and or like making the harajuku stars wrestle in like full-length vinyl outfits in the Miami heat like let's go let's go all in let's let's go over the top with it in a fun way yeah I guess that's that's kind of the interesting thing about these live shows is that especially from like a sitting at home perspective watching at the stream like there's only so much of this vivid detail and and this big pageant feeling and this like kind of over-the-top cartoonishness that will come through in a stream like you can watch off of Twitch or TikTok. At some point, the like the the even the like larger than life visual detailing of the of the characters' costumes, etc., it it's still going to feel small when you're watching it on like a Twitch stream. Right? And then you couple it with like the muddy sound quality and commentary that is like very straightforward and serious in a realm that is like not 
doesn't particularly call for it. It's just only it didn't feel like it sold what Skabon is really about. Whereas when you go on Skabon's like TikTok, when you go on their online presence, you're getting the version of Skabon that they want they want their public to receive. Yeah, I'd be very interested to see when show number three happens and how things how things change, how things progress as we go along. Because I feel like the first show had yeah, the first show had like a little animated segment where we like introduced the different factions and things like that. So yeah, and we're not because we're not getting that outside of the ring stuff, there's not a lot of story like there wasn't a lot of story on the second show. There's the factions feuding with each other. That's the main story. But even then I don't really know how to feel about that. Like um, like hey, faction A picked up a take team win over faction B. Cool. Like what does that mean? What is that where how are how are things in Scape on any different now as a result of that victory than they were before? One of the only like big, like clear sort of stories is Stray Cat. Stray Cat being the sole member on the roster who isn't part of a faction. She's not part of a faction. Will she be? Will she join one eventually? Will she find a home? That's Yeah. So we get that, and as a result of this show, and it was Rigo Blondie was injured and had to get pulled from the car. This was supposed to be like a trios tag, the opening match. Instead, it became a two-on-two tag. We got Stray Cat teaming with a surprise partner, GCW, ultraviolet champion, Rina Yamashita. So that works nicely in this context as well, because it's like, oh, Stray Cat, who's not a part of any faction, is teaming up with this person, who's also not part of any faction because this is her first show ever. I like that. Stray Cat ends up pinning Midnight Player of the Vandals to pick up the win for her team. So, and I think Cat had an encounter with the Vandals on the first show. She might have beat one of them then in singles competition. So Stray Cat's being positioned as like one of our top baby faces because she's staying on her own she doesn't have backup she doesn't have friends and she's like not backing down from that i like all that um i don't know where you go from here unless you just every show is her just like on her own fighting people (laughs) yeah i don't i don't know i i mean i guess she gets a rivalry or gets into a feud with a specific faction and she had to feud with every single one of them. So that gets you at least a couple of matches. And then our second match. Harajuku Stars versus Dangerous Liaisons. So on the one side, we've got Mayumi Mushi and Sakibimi. On the other side, we've got Queen Takasi and Konami. Konami debuted on the first show as a free agent, ended up joining Dangerous Liaisons during that show. So Konami's got a little bit of a story here. And then... This was like the escape. This was like the escape on re-debut of Konami because on the first show she looked more or less like she's always looked in Stardom as a pupil of Asuka. Everywhere she's gone, she shows up on this show and Konami looks you've ever seen her before. Yeah, that like would not recognize at all. And great, looks amazing, like. Just incredible, incredible look. But can you picture like Oscar showing up on one of these shows and she's wearing like petticoats and like <laughs> like a, a frilly collar with like I don't know hearts painted on her cheeks or something? Because that's that's that <laughs> you could almost that's that feels like that's what would happen. Sure, and like I don't I don't hate it. I think it's really cool. I think it's I think it's neat. For any wrestler going into this world to get to like wear and embody an aesthetic that is so opposite of what we're used to seeing from them, especially someone like Konami, I just I think it's I think it's really neat. Like why not? I so desperately want Jungle Kiona to be a part of Skabon. I don't see why not, right? Yeah, as soon as as soon as Konami showed up, I was like, well, if Konami can do this, then her old tape partner can as well. Yes. Yes, I feel like it's 
yeah, now that Konami's there, yeah. I mean, give it, give it another, you know, give it to the next show. Who knows? Our third match is Crush You versus Otaku-chan. As I said before, Otaku is the veteran. Kari Yonayama playing like the stereotypical schoolboy nerd, like dressed up in a full like dorky schoolboy outfit and wrestles the entire match with a propeller beanie and glasses on. And I just, I, I having seen a lot of her work, especially like Death Yamasan and stuff, she loves, I know she loves it. She loves playing the, playing the comedy figure, playing the buffoon, doing the, uh, doing the humor side of things. But it's just so like, it's just, I don't know. who wrestles wearing, who wrestles an entire match wearing a hat? Orange Cassidy wrestled like an entire match wearing sunglasses and people were like, oh my God. Look, that is the power of a taco shop. Um, I love you and so glad that she is part of the promotion. Just, that's my beginning in it. I just, I, I love, I, I love you. Um, I think she's great. I think she's incredible. I've liked her work for, for Sendai, for DDT, for Eve. Um, I'm always told when she would pop up on Eve, uh, for wrestling Eve shows. Um, so getting to see her in, uh, in Skabon is just an extra treat. And speaking of total makeovers, the next match featured the Skabon debut of new signing Sari with like blue box braids and again, uh-huh. unrecognizable. Unrecognizable from what she looked like in NXT or what she looked like in Japan before coming here. Yeah. She looks cool though. I mean, like, it cannot be like oversaid. Everybody in this promotion looks cool. Like, there's this really cool, like, even down to, like, the, the makeup design for Sarah, so there's, like, a box of, like, blue-threaded box braids. There's this really cool, like, um, accentuated eyebrow, red glitter look on, that is also in, like, these, like, backwards half-moons over her eyebrows. She's got these faint little hearts in blush on her cheeks. She just, like, it's so neat and unnecessarily detailed. It looks so good, though. It's clear that a lot of this aesthetic value is not even meant for the crowd because they're not going to see all the detail. It's not meant for like the stream. It is meant for photographs that are going to be featured in places, whether it's online or in these articles that are running in major media platforms. So I'm, I'm like, I'm looking at these pictures featured in Vogue and on Sense, and it's like, these were for pictures. These were not for the show. These were specifically this level of detail was meant be captured in photograph to be included in pictorials in these like in these major like magazine outlets. So do we see a lot of these women get radically different looks for like Scape on three, Scape on four? Because you know if Bingo has the exact same outfit every time, if Sui has the same blue, the same braids every time, it's not going to be getting written up a It'll get written up less next time and even less the next the time after that, right? The whole point of like fashion shows and stuff is like what's new. Yeah, I mean it's true. I think that like they they will stick with the like known aesthetics for a little while, but yeah, they're gonna have to kind of bump it up a little bit every time they wanna do any kind of like fresh media push. The good news though is that every major city they run out of has its own set of like local art mags and culture magazines and major outlets. Cause they're not running in small cities. They're running in New York city. They're running Miami. They'll probably run in like Los Angeles or something like that. Doing that means that they can bring that same aesthetic stuff that's like swept over, like, you know, various uh, news outlets and culture outlets in Miami. They can just do the same thing in other major, like major media markets. They probably have at least like, three or four more major cities that they can do that with. Oh, at least. I mean, um, I don't know population size of things, but I would think like if they're running Miami, they can do Chicago, they can do Seattle, they could do Boston, they could do Austin. You've got, what, 
your, your country has many noteworthy cities. Yes, we have lots, but like not every not every city, even a sizable one, is necessarily going to have like a large enough uh, like city wide like news and culture beat. So using their markets, they they did re- they they chose these really smartly. They went with New York City for their first show, obvious choice, and then going to Miami, not necessarily a place that everyone would associate with like wrestling, but definitely has the right mix that they were looking for as far as like wrestling fans meet people with like, interest in international culture meets people with a high degree of interest in like art and fashion and like and mix in like the high level of a like party and DJ culture that's down in Miami. This was this was really well well booked. Like it, it makes a ton of sense. When I first saw that they were running on Miami, I didn't think about it deep enough. And the minute the show happened, I started reading any coverage of it. It was like, okay, this makes sense. So where where to next? To me, the obvious choice is Los Angeles. So a big thing that was affecting this show was travel issues. We had a couple of matches changed. We had an extra match added because of that. They said later on near the end of the show that a couple of the women showed up like literally during the show. I think they were really really killing time at points going you know what um person's not here yet for match number three let's just run a singles match here instead and see and hope that they make it because they're like presumably in a uber right now and then the other thing the whole show start to finish an hour and 40 minutes they had advertised that they were going to start at 10 they didn't end up starting until 10 20 which again i think is them killing time because like I said, the opening match was supposed to be a trios tag, and by the time they went on the air 20 minutes after they were supposed to, it was a two-on-two match. And I think that's literally because people hadn't shown up yet, and they said, you know what, we can't postpone anymore, let's just start the show. The other interesting thing was that they really, it felt like they were hard-pressed to finish before midnight. And I don't know if that was the uh, the Twitch stream on the CEO gaming channel, or if that was in the venue saying like you have to wrap it up before midnight, or what. But the main event was only eight and a half minutes long, which feels very short for a main event, very short for a match to crown your first world champion, even in a promotion like this where we said clearly is not a work rate, going out there and have a 27 minute five star classic. Even still, eight and a half minutes feels short for world title main event but the match finished and then like they were off the air 40 seconds later so it really felt they were up against the clock yeah and to me i was like is this when you introduce whoever's going to challenge next and like set up for like the long term for your next title bout but nope and whatever they do in that regard is going to be done i'm guessing online that was okay. That's the one other thing with me again, not to harp on like the hey lack of outside of the ring stuff, but I'm like, you have Bull Nakano for your promotion. You're flying her to Miami for this, and all she really does is like one little speech in the ring saying like, Hey everybody, thank you for coming. Welcome to Skabon and then at the end of the show coming out and putting the title around the champ's waist. And that's it. And I'm like, why have, like, she's a commissioner. She's kayfabe, the matchmaker. Let's see her commission. Let's see her make matches. Let's see her, like, deal with, like, the vandals when they're, like, acting up backstage. Like, she didn't even show up during our penultimate match when Lady Antoinette was choking people with chains left and right. The liaisons are, like, three-on-one beating up Supersonic at the ringside. So it just seems weird, like... I'm not the kind of I'm never the kind of person to be like we need more authority figures on my show. I want to see Tony Khan every other segment. But when you have Bull Nakano, it just feels weird to fly her out there for like one little speech in the ring and that's it. Yeah, especially since uh, if you look at like the coverage of Gabon, you are looking at you were seeing Bull Nakano's name all over it. Like she's getting a ton of credit for being involved in the promotion. What feels mainly ceremonial. Yeah, Medusa had a similar role in the early days of stardom. She was the commissioner for stardom, and she like 
didn't do a heck of a lot. She was just kind of like a name on the marquee. I mean, it's like, it like makes total sense, you know? It's like, it's a big name for a brand new Josie promotion at using like a legend of the business, of like undisputed legend of the business. And well, Nakano gets to like be play the legend, get a paycheck, and be the figurehead. Win win. Everyone everyone makes out on this. Our main event was Ichiko Sayaka versus Com- Commander Nakajima to crown the first Skabon World Champion. I'm not gonna harp on it too much. I always hate when any promotion rushes into crowning a champion. I am always in favor of like let's take a year let's take like three or four shows to build up a roster establish some like credible threats so that i'm really like any of these people could be the first champion how's it going to unfold make them like really have to earn it through a tournament or something like that i really didn't like how they rushed to crowning a champion on the first show and then we get here and pretty much everybody i saw online was pretty universally convinced Sayaka was going to be the first champion. She isn't. They went with the heel instead. I'm fine with that. I like a, I like a good surprise now and then. Keep you on your shows. But there's a difference between, like, we're not going to go out there and have a 25-minute, like, five-star classic and what we got, which was just, I don't know, really deflating. Like, we get a ref bump. Nakajima brings a chair in the ring. But then she just tosses it to Ichiko, who catches it, and she's like, why are you handing me this chair, essentially? Yeah, and holding on to it, which is, uh, that that kind of spot, if it's not done quick enough, I absolutely hate that type of spot, because it's like, just drop the chair. Just throw the chair yeah, in the ring. What it, are you doing? Why are you holding that chair? It's, 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 it's the Eddie Guerrero callback, but it makes her look dumb for like standing there holding a chair. And then Nakajima just rolls her up for the pin. It just feels so deflating. It feels like it, like I like the heel pulling shenanigans to steal the victory out from somebody that we wanted to see win and we thought was going to win. Great. Just I, I don't know. This felt this just felt so flat to me, especially after eight minutes of like nothing really that memorable from two great wrestlers. And I know people would complain if you know Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson went out there on even on collision or whatever in the main event wrestled seven minutes of meh action and then the finish was like poke you in the eye and roll you up yeah i mean it was it, it, it wasn't a like barn burner of a title match it didn't doesn't have to be in a promotion that is largely trying to do something beyond deliver that type of wrestling yeah, so I guess that's our biggest thing going into Escape on 3 is we just have to, now that we've had two shows, we have to accept what it is instead of trying to make it into something that we want it to be and recognize that. Recognize, like, this is the type of wrestling that we're going to get in Escape on. These are the type of actions we're going to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot to like here for that. So, like, this is not to say that you can't watch Stabon and have a good time watching it. I watched the whole show. I enjoyed watching it. Um, going with the expectation that you were watching something that isn't just a straight up. Like, try not to go in expecting the Joshi performances that you are used to seeing from these wrestlers. Okay? Like, they are not playing themselves here. They are not your you know, stardom or ice ribbon or DDT like champions. They are their characters in Skabon. They are wrestling in Skabon style. Just know that and you'll you'll have a good time here. You're like I wouldn't say lower your expectations, but shift your expectations beyond what you already like understand about these women as wrestlers. You're not getting Christian Bale or Michael Keaton. You're getting Adam West. Now, that show is was immensely popular and it's still talked about today and still has a legacy. So that's the thing. You know, if you're willing to come at it from that angle, if you're willing to accept that's what you're getting, then 
there's a lot of fun to be had. Yes, precisely. There's a ton of, and, and it's gorgeous to look at. It's so fun to, like, see these costumes in action. It's so fun to see this design in action. Um, clearly, the crowd was having a great time with it, too. So, like, the crowd buy-in is, is indisputable. I just think for future shows, let the, like, I am hoping the commentary will kind of match the tone of what we're seeing. Um, it doesn't have to be, like, David McLean level, like, Aw shucks, poopery, but like maybe maybe liven it up, and don't, you don't necessarily have to treat these things super seriously. Um, it would be probably better suited for the streaming audience if the commentary was played a little like lighter and looser. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sold as far as wanting to continue watching it. I think it's really neat that we are talking about a women's wrestling product. That is a completely like, you know, foreign production that is launching itself in America first and foremost and is being covered by by media markets like Vogue. Like you can't say that every day. So there is something here that is catching fire and is catching catching the attention of people who don't normally pay attention to, to wrestling, especially with international wrestling. So good on Skabon because what they're doing is working. It's maybe not going to like be the biggest wrestling for wrestling fans, but it can, it can be a major introductory force of Joshi wrestling for people who have never even fathomed watching women's wrestling in the past. Yeah, I'm really interested to see the reach of this. Like, theoretically, this would be a good gateway promotion to show your non-wrestling friends and try to ease them into wrestling. I did, that thought literally hadn't crossed my mind until two seconds ago when I said it. Like, should I, you know, should I try to get my wife and her friends to watch this promotion? I don't know if they see the the. It's tough for me because like I didn't, I wasn't wowed by the wrestling, and I'm a wrestling fan, but they're fashion lovers, so maybe. But then like, again, if like. If the interest is primarily the fashion, not the wrestling, then you go on the Instagram. You don't need to watch. You don't need to sit through a two-hour show. That's true, but also you could just have it on. They could see it in action. You could fast forward where you maybe you know if they were getting kind of antsy with it. But I think it's it's definitely worth like putting on. I, I think your wife and and her friends in particular would love the aesthetics of this. Would love elements of this that like like mimic lots of cultural elements that like they are like steeped and familiar with. So yeah, I don't I don't know. I think I think that there's value in there in trying it with a lot of with a large cross section of different people. That crowd was over a thousand strong Miami. That could not have all been wrestling people. That was not all wrestling people. There was a buy in that was beyond that. And there's a buy in online that's beyond that too. This is capturing people that other wrestling markets have never really captured, despite like, you know, it, despite having reality show presence, despite having large like, like stars in their women's roster. WWE still struggles to get like any kind of hold over any like elements of culture that aren't specifically wrestling based. Whereas Skabon, they're probably going to struggle more to retain wrestling fans than they will to retain anyone else. Okay, that's our show for the week. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We don't know when Skate on 3 will be, but uh, we'll be there. We'll be watching. Might not do a whole episode on it, but we'll talk about it somewhere, somehow. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram or Patreon at GritGlitterPod. And you have but a mere two days left to vote in the 2023 Glitter Bombs. Voting closes this Thursday at midnight. I know they've only got two shows, but pick any five women from this roster and nominate them for favorite look or gear. They, they could very deservedly win it. I mean, like, the Harajuku stars, like, all vinyl, like, sailor suits are 
so it, it gives Powerpuff Girls to me, and I love it. It's it's so cute, and I like I I even willing to forgive the fact that like I can't imagine how breathable it how lack of breathable it is, but oh my god, it's adorable, especially like baby faces with all like striped like short and shorts. Ah, so cute. Thursday at midnight. The link is tiny dot cc slash grit glitter pod vote for your favorite baby faces you can vote baby face or best baby face it's right in her name vote for your favorite tape teams or stables like cherry bomb girls vote for match of the year favorite wrestler outstanding performer in a non-wrestling role all of those vote fill out every single space and every single category if you want or you know what just log on and vote like for two people in two categories and call it a day if that's the people you want to shout for. That works too. Yes, and do us a solid. You know, if you're voting and you're a wrestling fan listening to us and you know other wrestling fans who could vote as well, spread the word, share it on your social media of choice, your platform. It doesn't have to be on Twitter. It could be any, on any social media because um, we want to spread this far and wide. Love to get new votes in the Glitter Bobs each year to offer fresh perspectives. You write in the ballot. So like literally, Share it with people who want to share out the names and the important like wrestling stuff that they love from 2023. Give them a chance to be able to share that with us. So, because who knows? Enough of them vote on a specific category that doesn't get a ton of votes. Their favorites could win. We've had winners who won by single votes. So please spread the word. Let us help get get the glitter bombs and these awards to to more wrestlers than ever this year. Voting closes Thursday at midnight Eastern Standard Time. Friday, I add up all the results. I find out who wins. I don't tell anybody. Saturday, we start revealing the nominees every day on our Twitter and Instagram. We'll be revealing the top five nominees in each category. And to find out who actually wins, who gets the gutter bomb that they get to take home, that's in two weeks. Two weeks from today. The 2023 Glitter Bombs, our year-end awards show, our big year-end awards. We've got special guest presenters, we've got special guest performers, we've got a celebrity guest host on tap. It's the biggest Grid and Glitter episode of the year. It's my favorite episode of the year. That's in two weeks' time. That's going to be a big one. So next week, we're just going to take it nice and quiet. It's Christmas. We're just going to like breathe it down, turn the fireplace on, drink some... Do you like eggnog? I can't stand it. Uh, no, not a, not a thing. Okay, not drinking some eggnog. We'll drink some apple cider, hot chocolate. And uh, just have a quiet one next week. That's my plan. Oh, okay. See, she's on already. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I think I'll take a nap. Maybe I'll take a nap on recording. <laughs>